Good morning, everyone. My name is Ryan Mallon. I'm senior pastor here at Church of the Atonement. We are so glad that we have this opportunity to gather once again and worship the Lord together. Uh, we have a lot of exciting things happening in the life of our church right now. Uh, yesterday, the, we want to uh, acknowledge what happened yesterday, something very special. We had Kitty and Todd Lees get married yesterday, so we're very excited for them and uh, hope that they are uh, enjoying this new uh, season of life that they've entered into and receiving the congratulations of their friends and family and church family. Also, if you received Atonement Life, you saw that we had a number of graduates in our church, in the life of our church. We'll be praying for them later on in the service. Uh, but it's another season to celebrate, and hopefully you can take advantage of getting to know those folks a little bit and reach out to them and congratulate them. You know, this is a year that many of the people graduating don't get to have the, the seasons of celebration uh, that most of us were privy to in uh, those times of our life. So it's a good time to take advantage of that and uh, reach out and, and tell them, uh, you know, congratulations, proud of you, and uh, pray blessings that the Lord would lead them as they continue to follow the Lord in their vocation. This is a strange season also, you know, while it's a season to celebrate and there's many good things happening in the, our church uh, family, there's also sorrows that fill uh, the family of our church and also fill our hearts with what's happening around the world. And I was uh, trying to meditate on, you know, what is the proper attitude to have in the midst of these hard times as we come and gather for worship. And so for this morning's call to worship, I would ask that you would listen and, and follow along on the screen with uh, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. The Apostle Paul writes to the Philippian church while he is in the midst of very difficult circumstances. He gives them this instruction. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in prayer and supplication. Bring everything with thanksgiving and let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And here is our call to come and to worship this morning. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence or if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And we come into this moment on the Lord's Day, this hour of worship, to think about how those things are true and present and put on display in the gospel of Jesus Christ as God reveals himself to us through our Lord and Savior. And we remember our call to reveal those attributes, those characteristics of the Lord to the world. And so we come to be refreshed and to feast on uh, Christ and to remember uh, how he is all these things and displays all these things in our world. And surely we need it. So would you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for worship? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to step out of the chaos and the stresses and anxieties and to come before you and to offer thanksgiving for the ways you have sustained us. Even though there are many aspects of our life that feel uh, hurried and assailed, even though our consciences and emotions are bearing great burdens as well as great joys, we know that as we come into this hour of worship, we do not want to be uh, people that are burdened down by anxieties and worries and fears. But we want to be a people 
that is lifted up through uh, your presence, by your countenance. We want to be a people who is encouraged and who displays the hope that we have in you. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to be working in our hearts to free our minds of these things, to help us bring them to you in prayer, and to set our minds not on the things here on this world, but on these things that are so wonderful, these excellencies and characteristics that Paul describes, which perfectly remind us to set our hearts and minds upon you. And so as we come to worship, Lord, that's what we want to do. And we ask for your help in doing this. In Christ's name, amen. Let's join our voices together in singing our opening hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns. Oh, 
have been uttered from a prayerless heart. Praise has been often praiseless sound. My best services are filthy rags. Blessed Jesus, allow me to find a place in your appeasing wounds that my sins rise to heaven, your merits soar above them. Though unrighteousness weighs me down to hell, your righteousness exalts me to your throne. All things in me call for my rejection. All things in you plead my acceptance. I appeal from the throne of perfect justice to your throne of boundless grace. Grant me, Lord, to hear your voice assuring me by your stripes I am healed that you were bruised for my iniquities, that you have been made sin for me, that I might be righteous in you, that my grievous sins, my innumerable sins in Christ are all forgiven. 
buried in the ocean of your concealing blood. I am guilty, but pardoned, lost, but saved, wandering, but found, sinning, but cleansed. Give me perpetual brokenheartedness. Keep me always, Lord, clinging to your cross. Flood me every moment with descending grace. Open to me the springs of divine knowledge, sparkling like crystal, flowing clear and un unsullied through this my journey of life. I pray this in the matchless name of Christ our Lord. Amen. God's word gives us assurance that our sins are forgiven. And it comes to us this morning from Psalm 103. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's good news. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Amen. I want to take a moment and pray also for our offering. You all have consistently continued to give, and we do thank God for that provision. I want to pray for that right now. Eternal and all-wise God, our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. For God, all that we have, you have given it to us. You formed this, this universe, you formed this world, you formed the earth such that we would live in it. You made it for us. And us, God, for your glory, all for your glory. Father, we thank you that you have continued to provide through your people to your church. And I pray, God, as we continue to give in, and sow into your kingdom ministry, Father, I pray that you meet every need in the households of every uh, visitor, member, God, and friend of this church, as well as all other churches across the world. We pray that the ministry of Christ would definitely be financially supported, that your work would be done, Lord. We pray all of this in Christ's name.
from Titus chapter 2, Paul talks a lot about training. So I wanted to talk to you guys very briefly about training. A lot of you guys have done a bunch of training to this point in your life. You've done potty training. You've uh, had training wheels on your bicycle. You are learning to, to spell and to read. These are all things that we do. We train in these things so that we can get better. Paul, in our passage today, talks about the Christian life and how Jesus, our Savior, trains us in godliness throughout our entire lives. If you like to watch sports or play sports, you know what training can be like. Running laps over and over again until you're too tired to stand. Maybe you go out in your backyard and throw a ball against the wall for hours on end, getting better at throwing. 
Maybe you play catch with your father or your mother in the backyard for hours, getting better at catching. These are all things we do to train ourselves in sports that we can get better. Paul tells us that Jesus is the one who trains us in godliness. We do not know how to live godly lives on our own. In fact, we cannot live godly lives on our own. And Jesus, by his grace, teaches us to do so. And like training for a sport, that training can be hard and tiring. But the more we practice, the more we rely on Jesus to teach us and to push us in this training, the more godly we will be. The training that Jesus does is for eternity, that we will be like him. And the hope that we have in this training is that one day when Jesus returns, the training will be over and we will be completely 100% holy like Jesus. So take hope in the promise that this training will one day be over and joy in the presence of your Savior, Jesus Christ, who is there with you in the midst of this training. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that he is our great Savior and our trainer, that he who lived a perfect and godly life lives in us, teaching us and training us to live godly lives just like him. Lord, we pray that each day we would grow in godliness and in the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, as I said, our text this morning is from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. I'll go ahead and read the passage and then make a few introductory comments. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, God and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word, that in it we find life. Lord, open your word to our hearts and our minds, illuminate it to our souls, that it may dwell deeply within us and change us and mold us into your likeness. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. I know that as we come to worship this morning, 
many of us come with heavy hearts, minds, and consciences because of the tragic events that have happened over the past two weeks. From the senseless killing of an unarmed black man by four police officers whose job it was to serve and protect that man, not kill him, to the violent and angry riots that have destroyed property and innocent people's livelihoods by destroying countless small businesses. Our nation is hurting. And I'm confident that we are all feeling that pain. And I'm sure that a lot of us are unsure of what to do about it. I assume that we have a lot of questions. Questions like, how could things like this happen in 2020? Questions like, what am I supposed to do to make a difference? This morning, our text is one that offers answers to some of those questions. Titus is a letter written by Paul to Titus, who is a pastor on the island of Crete. Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 5, that he, and tells us that he left Titus on Crete for a specific purpose. That purpose was to finish the work of putting the church in order, namely by appointing godly elders. In chapter 1, Paul also identifies a problem he sees within the church on Crete and charges Titus to address it. He says in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, that there are many who profess to know God, but they deny him with their works. Paul is pointing out the hypocrisy of the church in Crete. And as we'll see from our passage this morning, that Paul's answer to this hypocrisy is a life characterized and led by the grace of God in doing good works. We will see from our passage today that a healthy church is a doing church, whereas an unhealthy church is simply a talking church. I have titled this sermon, The Grace That Trains. And there are three points I want to make about this grace and then hopefully apply it to our lives. The first point is that the grace that saves is the grace that trains. Second point is that the grace, that grace trains us in godly living for the present age. Grace trains us in godly living for the present age. And third, we are redeemed by this grace to do good works. The grace that saves is the grace that trains. If you have been around the church for a while, you have probably heard the term saving grace or saved by grace. And that is because the Bible teaches that we as sinners are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. In our passage this morning, we see that grace, we see that the grace that saves sinners is the same grace that trains those sinners. In verse 11, in the first part of verse 12, 
Paul tells us that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us. The grace of God has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. In his appearing, salvation is offered to all people, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, and people of every race and ethnicity all over the world. But also in his appearing, Jesus trains believers in godly living. For Paul, the grace of God is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the one who saves sinners. And at the same time, he is the one who empowers believers to live godly lives, the fruit of which is good works. The two are separable, inseparable. They are two sides of the same coin. You cannot have a godly life or, or good works without saving grace. And saving grace always produces good works. Sometimes I think we forget this dynamic and focus only on the saving grace at the expense of having the necessary discussion about how that grace is to work out in our lives. But the New Testament has a lot to say about good works. Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 35, tells us that they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. James chapter 2, verse 13, says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, tells us, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Reformed people love to quote verses 8 and 9 in talking about the sovereignty of God and how it is that we have no right to claim any credit in our salvation. Paul is very clear in verses 8 and 9 that our salvation has nothing to do with our works, our ability, our merit. But I think sometimes we tend to end at 9 and not continue on to verse 10 for our detriment. Because verse 10 is very much connected to verse 8 and 9. When we neglect to talk about the good works that are the fruit of God's grace and saving grace in our lives, we neglect to depict and tell people about the whole grace of Christ. Paul is telling us in verse 11 of chapter 2 of Titus and the first part of chapter, uh, verse 12 that the grace of God and the person of Jesus Christ not only saves sinners but also trains those sinners in godliness. This brings us to our second point. Grace trains us in godly living for the present age. I've heard it said that marine, ba marine basic training 
um, that when you go there, their goal for recruits is to break them down completely to nothing and then to build them back up into a Marine. It's somewhat of a cliche statement, but the picture is meant to paint a surreal one. You go in as your own person and you leave a Marine built in the image the Marines choose for you. The training we receive from the grace of God is just as transformational and challenging. You could also look at it like training for a sport. The harder the training is, the more effective it is. When you look at professional athletes and the amount of time they spend training, you begin to see the importance of this training. They would not be able to compete at the level in which they compete if they do not constantly train their bodies and their minds to complete the tasks that they need to complete each day on the, sport, on the playing field. The same goes for us in our walks with Christ, in our lives every day. We must train ourselves in godliness. But the good news is that we are not left to train ourselves on our own, but we have been given the grace of God that trains us, the, his son, Jesus Christ. The grace of God does two things in its training. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and it trains us to live godly lives. The problem is that these two things are diametrically opposed to one another. And the battle takes place not in front of us, but within us. It's not like you can sit on the sidelines and watch from a di distance. You are the battleground in which this training takes place and the battle lasts your whole life. In the truest sense of the word, it is the truest battle of wills, the old self versus the new self, the ungodly versus the godly. So how does this training work? Well, it begins with renouncing of godliness, excuse me, renouncing of the ungodliness. This is more than just pointing out things that are ungodly in the world around you. The renouncing Paul is describing here is a rejecting, a breaking all ties with the ungodliness that is within you and part of your sin nature. The first step in godly living is renouncing the ungodliness we have become so very well acquainted with and comfortable with over the course of our lives. We call this repentance, and it means to turn away from our ungodliness. If it was simply just renouncing ungodliness that we see in the world, the training that we would be going, undergoing would be pretty easy. We are all very good at identifying and pointing out the ungodliness we see in other people. You know who else? is really good at pointing out ungodliness in others rather than themselves. The Pharisees and hypocrites Paul talks about in chapter one. But that is exactly what Paul says is causing the problems in the church on Crete. 
The renouncing that the grace of God trains us in is the renouncing of ungodliness within us. And this can be very painful and humiliating. But in order to live godly lives, we must do it. This is where training in godliness begins. If we cannot renounce the hatred, pride, lust, and the many other kinds of ungodliness that lie within us, we cannot even begin to live godly lives. This training is not something that we can put off until later either. Or we, and we cannot wait until Jesus returns to begin our training. This training is for the present age, as Paul says, so that we can live godly lives in the midst of the ungodliness and the brokenness we see around us. The second part of the training is just as hard because it requires us to replace the ungodliness that we're so used to with self-controlled, upright, godly lives. This is where we learn what Jesus meant when he said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The transformative grace of God puts a desire for godliness within our souls. And we have tasted and seen that it is good, but our sinful flesh wants nothing to do with godliness and fights against it with everything it's got. And this is why Paul calls this training rather than teaching. The life change that comes, the, the, the life change from ungodliness to godliness is not just a mental exercise. If it was, it would be relatively painless. But it is a, it's not just a mental exercise. It is spiritual and emotional and physical as well. Training in godliness consumes the whole of you with the goal of breaking you down and building you back up in the image of Jesus Christ. If this training is so hard, then it better be worth it. I often ask this question to myself about marathon runners. What makes running 26.2 miles worth it? And this is a good question for us to ask ourselves in light of training, our training in godliness. We need to ask ourselves, when it comes to godliness, what makes this training worth it? Paul gives us the answer in verses 13 and 14. The pain is worth the gain when it comes to living godly lives in the midst of so much brokenness and ungodliness. By living godly lives, we are able to point others to the hope we have in the second coming of Jesus Christ. For Paul, the promise of Jesus' return is a sure thing. If by living godly lives in the present, present, while we wait for him to return, makes a difference in another sinner's life and brings them to faith in Christ, all of the pain and hardship of the training is worth it. And this brings us to point number three. We are redeemed by his grace for good works. In verse 14, Paul describes in detail what Jesus did for us in his first appearance. Jesus, the grace of God, and our great God and Savior, redeemed us from lawlessness by dying on the cross for our sins. Paul tells us he did this to purify to himself a people for his own possession, 
zealous for good works. Jesus suffered under a much harder training program than we will ever, he will ever ask us to go through. He suffered death on the cross so that we would not have to. And in being saved from that death, he is purifying us and working within us a zeal for good works. Jesus, the true God-man, came and endured all of the ungodliness and brokenness of this that this world has to offer for the purpose of saving us and making us into his people who are eager to do good works and show the world who Jesus is. So what does this have to do with what is going on in our world today? It has everything to do with it. As the church, as a redeemed, purified, and chosen people, we have been chosen by Christ to do good works. And so we are uniquely positioned to answer the ungodliness of the world with the good news of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We as the church must be the first to renounce the hatred and vile racism that exists in our culture, in our churches, and in our hearts. We must stand up and renounce the corruption and ungodliness within our leaders. We must put into practice the training we are receiving in godliness right now. It's because Christ has redeemed us for that purpose. As I said earlier, Paul, for Paul, a healthy church is a doing church. A healthy church is a church that does good works out of the grace of God that has redeemed its people and is, and is actively training them in godliness. Just saying out loud or on social media that you hate racism, that you reject corruption and oppression is not enough. Again, that is what the hypocrites do. Jesus calls us and enables us by his grace to put into action the godliness he is training us in through good works. We must be a doing church, not just a saying church. We have so much to offer the hurting and broken world around us, but I think we are afraid to stand up and speak out because we do not feel equipped. Brothers and sisters, we have the grace of God equipping us to do just that. If we as the church sit on the sidelines and stay silent when the world is hurting like it is right now, we are telling the world that the faith we claim to have has nothing of value to offer you. If we as the church do not stand up and act to do the good work of caring for those in our society who are oppressed, wrongfully despised, and mistreated, then we are failing not just our broken and hurting world, but Jesus, our Savior, who has redeemed us and purified his church for just such a time as this. He has called his people to himself. He has redeemed us and purified us so that we may be his hands and feet, so that we may offer this hurting world 
comfort and peace. That we may show the lost who Jesus truly is. We cannot stay silent. We cannot sit this one out. We must renounce our own ungodliness and fear. We must renounce the ungodliness of racism and oppression. And we must get back in the game and live as Christ has redeemed us to live. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the redemption we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. That it is a full and perfect and eternal redemption that cannot be taken away from us. That in the grace of that redemption, we also have the call and the power to live godly lives in this present age. Father, by your grace, help us, your church, your people, to renounce the ungodliness in our lives and to stand against the ungodliness in the world around us as a beacon of light and hope and truth for those in the world who are lost and without Jesus Christ. Use us, Lord, to be your hands and feet. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Seth. At this time, I would ask for you to join your hearts and minds with me as we lift up some concerns on behalf of our congregation and our world and lift up these things to the Lord, entrusting them to his care. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we echo the prayers of Brother Seth, and we ask that you would help to strengthen us for this training, this work that you wish to do in our lives, that you would help us to be a church that looks like Jesus, that you would help us to not just talk like Jesus, but to live in ways that demonstrate to this world that is so lost and broken and searching for truth and creating paradigms of truth in their own image that there is a, an image in which all truth is formed and fashioned. And it needs to be displayed in this church. So Father, we ask for your help. And Father, we also thank you for the many blessings that we have as a church to live in this country and to enjoy the freedoms that we do have. We do not want to neglect, even though this country is far from perfect, the provisions that you have given us and the relative comfort that we experience. We pray that we would be better and good stewards of these things, that we would not take them for granted, that we would remember that many of your children around the world would long to live in the ways that we are enabled to live here. Help that to strengthen us and convict us as we train. Lord, we celebrate the new marriage that you have brought into uh, the family of our church with Kitty and Todd. We pray that you would bless their parents and their extended family and friends and 
We pray that you would bless them and encourage them as they take this new season of life and of displaying your gospel in the way that they live as husband and wife. We pray also and celebrate, Lord, those who are graduating and, and living out this calling of holiness and being your church in various areas of vocation. We pray and thank you for Ruth and Tammy, for Lene and Caitlin, for Taylor and Daria and Cole. We pray that you bless them, Lord, and lead them and uh, give them strength and courage to live out their faith and be a witness to the world. Lord, as we celebrate these things, we also know there are many in our church going through difficult times. So, Lord, we pray that you would be with our church family who are having health challenges. We pray especially, Father, for Rick Plasterer, who has been admitted to the hospital. Lord, you know the situations he's dealing with. We pray that his body would heal quickly from these things. We also lift up Mike, parent to you, Father, for an upcoming surgery. Pray that you would uh, use this surgery to, to solve all of the, uh, the years of problems that he has had and restore his health, Lord, that he might enjoy these years of life, uh, enjoy them with his family. Lord, we also want to ask for your comfort for those who are mourning, and we ask that you would inspire through your word and through your presence hope in the hearts of those who are depressed and anxious. We pray that uh, the truths and, and the strength to rejoice uh, would come from setting minds on things that are above, those things that are lovely, which the Apostle Paul talked to us about in uh, our call to worship this morning. Father, we pray that you would encourage and strengthen and protect our healthcare workers. We think of Pamela and Nima and Temi and others who are working with COVID patients. Lord, we pray that you'd be with all the healthcare and emergency workers and first responders and their families. Father, we also echo um, what Brother Seth said. We pray for our country. We pray for peace and healing and justice. And we know, Lord, that that comes and will come through the witness of your church and the working of your gospel. Help our churches to be united in the voice that we must have. We pray that your holiness would come. We pray that people would be freed from their anger and their hatred and their judgment and that all of these things would be reconciled in the cross. And we pray that we would also take the right steps to bring justice, to bring it quickly, to have a clear conscience and clear conviction that all are equal in your sight, O Lord, in the church and out of the church. We stand only by the grace of God as having favor through Jesus Christ. And we pray that that favor would be shared and spread in the message of the gospel to bring healing in our churches and healing in our world. Father, we ask all these things. And we ask that you would also strengthen the witness of the missionaries and those who are laboring on the front lines of the gospel around the world. Help us not to lose sight of the many battles and burdens they carry by what is happening in our own backyards. Keep us sober-minded and hopeful, knowing our mission and our call to be trained by your grace, the same grace that saved us and redeemed us for this purpose. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. We would invite you to uh, join us in singing 
our closing song, Living Hope. It's good. 
Well, we're so thankful that we had this opportunity to worship together. I pray that you were challenged and encouraged by the message this morning, and that as we go into the world to display the grace that has saved us and the grace that is, that is training us, may God's grace be with us. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all as we go. Amen. Thank you. 